Wednesday. This is the Desiree Show. First downs and flip tricks on Dash Radio. It is the 31st day of January. Had to start off with a little Bostonian music there for you guys. Uh, Super Bowl is in four days. Uh, although I wish I was in Minneapolis, darn it, broadcasting from all of America. I'm not there right now. Uh, but however, I've got two amazing men who have Super Bowl experience today coming on the show and an intersect of Super Bowl 31, which we will also talk about. Um, I am, as I mentioned, sad. I didn't get a check-in time to be out in Minneapolis to make it sound right for me to be there. Um, so I'm not there, sadly. As a broadcaster, this is the place to be. And yes, there's a lot of hoopla and a lot of uh, extravagant baloney going on, but there's a lot of rad stuff going on as well during this week in Minneapolis. The environment... I haven't been back since Super Bowl 50 in San Francisco, but I look forward to getting back out there next year. I'm going to make some uh, appropriate planning this year. Polar opposites today, though, however. It's 78 degrees here. Um, we broadcast out of Holly- out of Los Angeles and Hollywood. Minneapolis is a whopping 26 when I looked last on my phone. So unless you're in the Mall of America, and that's a sauna from what I've heard. Uh, the highs in the Twin Cities, not to break 18 degrees, is a high as well throughout the week. Uh, and then negative negative ones as well hitting but wow last night news broke of Alex Smith the deal between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Washington Redskins and now a multi-million dollar question is where Kirk Cousins is going to go we have mid-march until we find out where he goes in the free agency Uh, he is the only quarterback however that has had a franchise tag for two years in a row and will it be the Browns the Broncos the Bills the Jets the Jaguars there's multiple questions on where he might end up, but he will get a payday. Patriots headed to their 10th Super Bowl, and the Eagles to their third, still searching for their first ring. The underdog versus the seasoned veteran. And I don't know what's going on next door. they got a lot of noise going on next door. But uh, anyways, I've got a great show for you guys tonight. I'm super excited to welcome back, as I mentioned, two amazing men who have actually been at Super Bowl 31 at the same time, obviously. Uh, they both have Super Bowl experience. Uh, coming in, a former Patriot running back, Mario Greyer. He played in Super Bowl 31, and he will be going back to Minneapolis in a few days. He'll be joining us shortly, and at the bottom of the hour, I'm really excited to welcome a man who's got 29 years of experience putting on the Super Bowl. He's the man responsible for making it is what it is today, and we've got a lot of questions for him. I hope you guys will enjoy. Um, he is phenomenal. Phenomenal man. Super Bowl is actually in 52 days. In 52 days. Super Bowl 52 is in four days. I'm having a little dyslexic moment there. Grateful to welcome back a man who has been there, a former NFL running back for the Patriots, 1996 AFC champion, drafted in the 1996 draft, sixth round, 195th pick by the New England Patriots, Mr. Mario Greyer. Yay. How are you doing? (laughs) How are you, Mario? Thank you so much for your time tonight. Appreciate that. Uh, no problem. Or today. So uh, now you're heading. You're heading there. You know. I now I just sort of introduced the show. It's kind of cool. Both of you, uh, Jim Stig is at the bottom of the hour tonight, and both of you were at Super Bowl Thirty One, which is kind of a cool, rare occurrence. Um, Jim was responsible for making and doing all of the Super Bowl planning. Um, you know, music, everything to the, for the fan, the fans, uh, you know, ecstasy as well to come out to a Super Bowl. What was it like for you this week, going in 1996, your rookie season, you're going in preparing for the Super Bowl? Uh, going into it, like I said, um, you know, head coach is Bill Parcells, um, no-nonsense guy, just like Coach Belichick. You know, he's adapted. You know, I guess a lot of Parcells ways. Um no nonsense. So, uh, work week, you get all the tickets and everything taken care of. Really, that that first day at that that next day after you figure out you're going to the to the big game. So once you once we hit down and plane touchdown in New Orleans, the, the, you know there wasn't no partying or anything like that. It was a it was a business trip. Yeah, well, no, and you you mentioned this as a culture. I mean, and I and a lot of people don't realize this. So, once you win the AFC Championship game, it is quite hectic because you are making plans for family and friends, for tickets, for hotels, um, you know, for everyone, which is sort of a crazy diversion. But then once you get back to a Wednesday, 
it's business as usual. You're back to your routine of football. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, like I said, they, they, Coach Parcells wanted you to get all that out the way the very next day, tickets and, you know, family and all that. That way, when you got down, you know, to business the, the next day, you're fully concentrated on the on the big game and, you know, as far as the X's and O's and knowing your opponent and Coach Parcells, I mean, the you know, Hall of Fame coach, he knew how to do it. Well, and then you list you name one coach. Okay, so Parcells was your head coach. Bill was your defensive coordinator. You had yeah. um, Charlie Weiss was the wide receivers coach. Um, you also had um, Dick. Um, oh, I just uh, uh, Romeo Cornell as well as your D line coach. Romeo Cornell. I mean, oh, and yeah. you know, and then you're you're following the following year with the Patriots. You have Pete Carroll as your head coach. But I mean, let's talk yeah. about this. I mean. You were surrounded by some of the greatest coaches in NFL history. What was that like? I mean, it, it, it was awesome because, you know, each position coach seems like, you know, there was, you know, as a possible Hall of Fame coach in the future, you know, <laughs> coaching you. So, you know, like my running back coach, Maurice Carthon, who played for Coach Parcells, I can't name the Super Bowl when the Giants won it that year, I believe when they beat the Buffalo Bills. Maurice Carthon, my gosh, that was he a heck of a coach. I'm surprised not, you know, got got the head coaching position. But like I remember Coach Belichick, even even though he was on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, what you know, how he coached like Lawyer Malloy, Ty Law, those guys. Ty Law's gonna be in the Hall of Fame. Hopefully, he gets in this year. But uh, I mean, to be surrounded. Be surrounded by such great coaches. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything um, more. I guess to say. No, it's it's. I mean, gosh, it's kind of it's a pretty rad thing to be able to say that you were coached by one of those coaches, uh, let alone yes. you know four of those coaches. Uh, you know, and then again, um, your teammates. I mean, Bledsoe and Curtis Martin and Willie McGinnis and Ty Law. You mentioned as well. You know, you were surrounded around some really special players. But I wanted to say what, you know, there is something very special about the New England Patriots, um, and that organization is run so differently. Can you share, you know, kind of, I know from, from other players, you know, uh, Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick, uh, you know, after, when you guys are going in for food, would be speaking to everybody serving their food. How is their child doing? How is the science project? How's the dog doing? Um, this real personableness about the two of them. Granted, he wasn't your head yes. coach at the time, but can you share a little bit about that culture for us? Uh, yes, I mean it, it starts at the top, and it's Mr. Kraft. As you said, it's leading up to leading up to me. And I always tell everybody down here in North Carolina, uh, the best owner in the world, and I and I mean that when I say the best owner in the world, but just because of, like you said, I mean, just with your family, when you're in the organization, how they, I mean, how they treat all, all the players. I mean, from the, from the practice squad guys to the, you know, the seventh round pick, sixth round pick, you know, there's everybody's a paid when, when you're part of the organization, Mr. Kraft, Treats everybody as a patriot. I remember talking to Mr. Kraft when when I got drafted and I got up there, and it was like late in the season. And Mr. Kraft just, you know, he came up to me in practice and just told me that he went and sat in the stands and he thought about this before he became the owner of the Patriots, and he he said he was like a kid in a candy store, like. He wanting to, you know, own own the team, and he just said, once he once he became the owner when he bought the Patriots, uh, how excited he was, you know, him and his son Jonathan, and I mean that that I mean he he almost brought tears to my eyes, tell, him telling me that story. So I mean ever, you know, ever since everybody always 
um, kids me down here in North Carolina about why aren't you a Panthers fan? You know, you're not playing for the Patriots anymore. <laughs> like you don't understand. Once once playing for you know a world class organization such as the Patriots and you know Mr. Kraft. I mean, you you you, you can't you you can't understand what it's like to be a Patriot. You, you know, you you're a lifetime Patriot if you played for the Patriots and Mr. Kraft and like I said, you know, him even though him and Parcells didn't I guess, you know, things didn't work out. I guess everybody has heard the story about that. But you know, like I said, once a Patriot you're always gonna be a Patriot. Yeah. If you're just tuning in I'm joined by Mario Greyer and then this also this uh this thirty for thirty is coming out uh, tomorrow. Actually, the bill <laughs> can't wait. Bill, bill, the bills. Um, yeah. Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, uh, which should be really interesting. You know, and a lot of crossovers as well because I know Parcells was also uh, Robert Kraft was very close to Curtis Martin, but so was uh, Bill Parcells, and his career, yeah. you know, moved to obviously the Jets. Um, but I want to talk about you know, I mean, you, you as a rookie. Tell us what it was like. I know the draft was much different in 96. It's changed over the last 10 years dramatically. Uh, but knowing that you were picked and selected in the draft to play for the organization, what happened? Did you get a call? Who did you get a call from uh, when you found out that you were being drafted by the Patriots? It was, I love telling the story because I was, uh, you know, I was, I was with my agent up in Greensboro, um, Mr. Joseph and David Joseph, and you know they they represented Terrell Owens as well. So Terrell actually Terrell Owens actually ended up going the first day, and the second day came around the the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round. And you know, Mr. Joseph's like, "Hey, it's, it's going to happen today. It's, it's going to happen today. You know, second day. Um, think you're going to go today." So. We're all sitting in the office and we're looking at watching ESPN, watching the draft on ESPN, and it's the sixth round. And all of a sudden, you know, we're looking at the TV screen. I was like, look, there goes my name, the Patriots, sixth round, the 195th pick. You know, and the phone hadn't ringed or anything. You know, we saw my name go across the screen first. So, you know, I'm at that time, I'm standing up and, you know, I got some excitement going through me, and all of a sudden, you know, we hear the phone ring. And so, um, you know, Mr. Joseph answers the phone, and it was um, Nancy, the secretary. And, you know, I guess um, Nancy was like, Mr. Joseph, here's Mr. Parcells on the phone. And <laughs> Mr. Joseph um, hands me the phone, and um, I get on the phone with Coach Parcells. And Coach Parcells, the f- first thing that came out of his mouth is, um, Hey, I know you're a North Carolina, North Carolina kid. You, you ready to come up here and play some football? And I, uh, my my exact words were, "Hell yeah, coach, I'm ready." All right, on. <laughs> I never forget it. <laughs> no, that's got. I mean, that's definitely a memory for life. Um, I mean, getting a call, anyways, from from Bill Parcells, but then to ask you to come and play football uh, for the New England Patriots has got to be one of the poly uh, all time. One of your high times, uh, uh, for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So now, and then oh, there's yeah. something about being a patriot, though. I mean, and I know it's it's shifted a little bit. You had, like we were mentioning, Bill Belichick was your uh, defensive coordinator. Um, you're an offensive player, obviously. But yeah. did you see, while you know, being in the same system altogether, did you see him, his career, pers- you know, as it has gone? As a coach, um, Bill Belichick. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like being an offensive guy, you know, when the defense hit the field, and you know, Laurie Malloy, McGinnis, there's Chris Slade, Ted Johnson, always paid attention to you know the other side. You know, I, I something about me, I made me say, hey, look what these guys are doing when they're out there. And, I used to see Coach Belichick when he was coaching those guys. And, I mean, you, you talk about a coach that is attention to detail and that saw he could actually see, you know, 
everything that was going on on the field, like every position. I mean, you think he's looking at the defensive backs, you know, watching Ty Law do something. But at the same time, he he's also seeing, like, what the linebackers, like if Teddy Bruschi was taking the right gap or whatnot. And I, I was always amazed by that. Like, wow, look at this guy can see every – Almost said what every guy is doing on, on, you know, on the defensive side at one time, and you know it just it just took you back for a minute. It's like, man, this, this what, 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 where am I at? You know. <laughs> no, that that do your job mentality and. Um, oh my gosh! I mean, yeah. it's uh, it's it, it it's pretty awing. I mean, what this they're they're heading to their tenth Super Bowl right now. You were a part of this as well, of this history. Um, unfortunately, lost to the Packers 35-21. And, but, <laughs> yeah. but you got there. Um, I mean, what a ride for a rookie season. I mean, right? Oh, yeah. And, 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 and the veteran guys, like Bruce Armstrong, had, when I was there, he had already been in the league about, I think this was like he was going on his 11th or 12th year, and he's like, hey, you better cherish this moment because I mean, you know, I've been playing in the league for 12 years and this, this is my first one. I mean, you know, for you to be a rookie and come in the league your first year and you go to the Super Bowl, he's like, it's almost like unheard of. I guess it's like winning the, you know, lottery, you know, it really don't happen like that. And, Believe me, I I listened to those veterans, what they told me, especially my mentor when I got up there, fullback Sam Gash, who was great to me. And it's like, hey, cherish this moment and go out and try to win it because you never know when you're going to get back. And, you know, forcing up the Patriots, you know, Tom Brady's and boy, the boys are on a roll. <laughs> Yeah, they've definitely they're definitely on a roll. Um, well, you know, but I want to stay back too because then the following year you guys went to the playoffs. You didn't make it past the wild card, but still were ten and four, um, and and lost in the first round of the wild card, but still made it to the playoffs. Which is, you know, and then I mean this has been continuing. I mean, then two thousand one won against uh, the Rams. I mean, I know you you were gone at that point, but still right. that this you know I mean the the numbers are crazy uh, when you look at the Super Bowl appearances um, for this organization since '98 alone. You know. Yes. It's it's well, really. It's just, yes, it's Mr. Kraft. I'm, I'm telling you, it's like you know how he. It's just how he treats people, and I get. I believe when everybody who's drafted or whether they're a free agent, they. They step into the building up there. It's like, okay, they see it. I mean, they 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 feel the warmth, and they see how everything's being run up there. And that's, I mean, that was the same thing back when when I was there. I was like, oh, you step in the building, hey, you gotta you gotta work your butt off. It's it's no nonsense. It's do your job. And then when you step out there on the field, it's it's the same thing. You don't you don't do anything to hurt the team. You do everything to help the team, and you don't help the other team with like turnovers and. I mean, you you have you know you gotta have turnovers here and there, but with the Patriots, it's just hey, you make sure you don't do anything foolish to add to it, you know. And that's 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 the great thing about, you know, Mr. Kraft and the Patriots is that, you know, you, you work and, you know, you have fun too as well. You know, it's not all like no nonsense, but it's like when you're playing and you're a Patriot and you're out there on the field, I mean, there's just a feeling about you when you're out there playing for, uh, I'm going to say, a world-class organization because that's that's what it truly is. Yeah, I, it is. It truly is. Um, now, when you, you had expectations once you were drafted, I'm assuming we all do, were your expectations surpassed 
by what it meant to you to be a patriot? Yes, it was because, you know, when I when I got drafted by the Patriots, you know, I knew about their past. I kind of, like, knew about their past history. I was like, okay, we're, we're not going to make the playoffs or do anything special. It's just going to be kind of like – I didn't look at it like an organization as, like, um, I hate to say, like, you, you're not going to win. There's no hope, like – say like the Cleveland Browns or anything. I just I was just like, okay, I got drafted by Patriots. I want to go up there and I want to make the team. I don't think we're going to do anything special as far as, you know, make the playoffs or anything like that. So let's just try to go up there and have a good impression on the coaches and, you know, hopefully um, help build build the team, you know. <laughs> that's, how, that's, how, that's how I looked at it. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Now Tom Brady's not going yeah. in. This is uh, he's the first quarterback to have five Super Bowl rings, and then dynasty is another great uh, terminology for the Patriots organization. Is in addition to world class, <laughs> uh, playing for yeah. their sixth right now. Playing he's playing for his sixth. Thirty three players on the roster for the Patriots have Super Bowl appearances uh, versus six Eagle players. Um, uh, you going into this game as a rookie. You had a lot of veterans kind of showing you the way and sort of directing you, but as a team, having only six versus 33, 33 different players with experience of the 52-man roster, what is – I mean, that's a huge advantage in a lot of ways. Yes, I think it's a huge advantage because, number one, when you when you go down there to the actual big game, you're not kind of awed by all the – things that are going on, the events, the parties, the, you know, the, the, the going out late and you're not wild by all the, I say so, the celebrities, you're not caught up in the moment, you know, and I know Coach Belichick, you know, with that group that he has down there now, I mean, I know they're, I know they're focused 100 and I say good, I add the 10% on there to it. And, you know, being down there your first time, that's everything, you know, that that's going on down there. You can get distracted, I mean, big time. I mean, we've read, we've heard stories in the past about, you know, things happening to players. So, you know, with the Patriots, Bill Belichick, uh, Mr. Kraft, those, those, they, they're down there on a mission, and I, that mission is to – win the game, and then we can have fun afterwards. Okay, I like that. Now, this team, uh, th- th- these corners actually are really, uh, the Patriots corners play, uh, Matt Patricia has them playing on the inside, so which, and they'll use the sidelines as well um, to make it real difficult for those receivers. But the Eagles have, are huge with RPOs. Um, do you think that the defense, I mean, granted, I the Patriots seem to are always willing to make adjustments through the game and always are successful with their adjustments. Um, they, you know, Bill Belichick plans. They have three different plans, not just one game plan for going in. But that is that does create some problems potentially for the Patriots' defense. What are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, him, I mean him. Coach Belichick and Patricia, I mean, they even said after they finished um, with the Jacksonville game, winning that game, they were right to work the next day working them. And I think the advantage that the Patriots have is that they have a lot of guys in that defensive, on that defensive side, side of the ball that are they they really pay attention to detail and the game plan that they made as far as as far as the run pass option that you mentioned you know it it might cause them you know a few problems but that they'll they'll figure it out i mean they they always do and like i said the plan that they have going into that game they they'll have two two maybe even three 
three options they either go to if something don't work they'll go to another option if that option doesn't work they go to another option i mean bill belichick i'm not going to call him you know he's the, a genius i mean i he uh, i I, mean, yeah, he, <laughs> I didn't want to say it but yeah. he said it for me. <laughs> he is <laughs> but you know what when you got a genius on that uh, as, as your head coach and, you know, really defensive-minded guy, I mean, it, there's there's nothing he hadn't seen. So uh, he, he'll be able to adjust to anything that uh, Nick Foles and the Eagles have. Well, and this offense as well is like the genius with pick plays. And everyone's like, well, pick plays are illegal. And they're like, no, they're not illegal within the first few, two yards. So um, the Patriots right. are fantastic with pick plays um, and doing so in that in that manner, um, giving giving uh, Tom some time. And Tom is just so precise. And uh, it should be, what are your, and I'm going to ask, what are your predictions for the score of this game? Or can I? Is that is that taboo to ask you as a former player? You don't have to tell me if you don't want <laughs> Oh, no, not at all. As far as you mentioned the pick plays, I mean, I watch the Patriots every game, and the Patriots leading up and leading into the playoffs to this game, and they've they hadn't been penalized for any pick plays down the stretch. So that lets you know that, you know, what good a job that they do, and other teams. I noticed the Pittsburgh Steelers tried to go to that a lot as far as pick plays. They run them. They, they've they been called for them a couple times, but the pick plays that you you actually see that they're actually knocking the defender off the receiver that's getting the ball that should be flagged. Yeah. And the Patriots, the Patriots, what they do as far as, you know, like their route running cooks and – Hogan and Amadola and Gronk, you know, well, Gronk, Gronk gets called, when he gets called, it's for, for shoving off. So, you know, he has to be careful with that. He's kind of like but a shack. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah, just he big is. and he moves, you know, like he moves people, makes them, makes them foul. <laughs> yeah, but they, they, they've been good. They've been good as far as not being called for pick plays and stuff, but uh, to answer your question about the prediction of score of the game, I, I think it's the Patriots always in the Super Bowl. Every one of them seems like it's been, you know, kind of close or whatnot. And I've been hoping that they kind of, you know, kind of run away with one. And I'm, I'm hoping and predicting that they'll kind of, not saying run away with this one, but kind of, you know, win it by – you know, two touchdowns this Super Bowl. Okay, all right. Well, we're going to hold you to that. Uh, 14 point. Uh, well, a 6 point, 6 to 12, 6 to, or a, a four, 12 to 14 points. Pardon me. My brain, my brain, yeah. I have some issues with my brain sometimes. Um, Mario, you are amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to having you back on because I want to hear also about what you're doing. I know you're coaching right now, um, and I'd love to yeah. share that with our with our guests in the future. Um, maybe we can okay. have you back on uh, in a few months. That would that would be amazing. I'll be glad. I'll be glad to. Right on, I'll Mario. Be glad. Well, safe travels out to Minneapolis. Super thankful and uh, for your time today, and um, have a, a dynamite trip and a, a dynamite game at Super Bowl. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Hope you enjoy it. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Uh, go Patriots. <laughs> right on. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, what, you're welcome. Awesome. So thankful. Um, so, so thankful uh, for Mario for uh, making the time to come on. He had a great experience playing with some of the best coaches and being to the Super Bowl. And now um, coming up, um, the man is individually responsible for growing the Super Bowl into the most popular one-day sporting event, born in Boston to boot, um, although he doesn't have any super strong ties with Boston. Uh, he's a man with a list of accolades that I could take me at least half an hour to state. Uh, Jim Steak is going to be calling in just a moment. Um, but, yeah, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. This man played 26 years in charge of special events, former executive vice president and chief operating officer for the San Diego Chargers. He was, uh, again, responsible for growing the Super Bowl in what the world's greatest one-day sporting event, 35 years with the NFL. He was a controller of the Dolphins, CSAG member, and the list continues. He's brought the best entertainers in the world. Thankful to welcome 
Jim Stig, and he'll be calling in just a moment. I'm going to say, I'm going to give you guys a list of some of the people that Jim is responsible for bringing in as entertainment to the Super Bowl. Michael Jackson, U2, Phil Collins, Diana Ross, Aerosmith, Mary J. Blige, Nellie, Sting, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Smokey Robinson, The Temptations, Tony Bennett, Chubby Checkers, The Rockettes. Gosh, I mean, the list is just unbelievable. Aerosmith. I don't think I said Aerosmith yet, no doubt. Jim Stig is coming up in just a moment, and we're going to play a little bit of Diana Ross for you. Welcome back. This is the Desiree Show on Dash Radio. First downs and flip tricks. It is the 31st day of January. I'm super thankful to welcome back amazing man, a man responsible for bringing the Super Bowl to what it is today. 35 years working in the NFL, 29 years with the Super Bowl operations. Uh, he was with the Chargers organization. He was a chief operating officer, executive VP, controller for the Dolphins, CSAG. The list continues. I'm super thankful to welcome Mr. Jim Steig. Jim. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much. Um, I was having fun. I, I gave a list of only a portion of the halftime entertainment that you have supplied, <laughs> um, which is an astonishing yeah, group. Just as long as you didn't mention one of them, it's fine. No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I didn't at all, actually. I was really good. I was really good. You know, and I have to ask, I mean, okay, so I guess we're just going to jump right in here because uh, 29 years of putting the Super Bowl on, uh, I want to get into what, how this all happened for you, but I also want to hear what entertainers, like, were, like, sort of those aha moments for you of, like, yes, we got them. I mean, because the list is, the whole list is an aha moment, you know, for me, but for you, what was that like? And who was that? Or who well, were they? I think it was very interesting how you cha- how it changed over time. I think the national anthem, and there's no doubt about that, is that when when we went to Detroit way back in '82, um, you know, I, I went in to see Pete, and we were talking about it. And I said, "There's only one person that can do the anthem in Detroit, and that's Diana Ross." And being that we just come off the Colgate Five and Helen O'Connell, uh-huh. he said, "You yeah, kid, go ahead, try it. It's all up to you." And she said yes, and I, I think that changed the nature of who you were going to have do the anthem over the years. And obviously, there's kind of a who's who's list of people that have done the anthem. It's 26 years ago was Harry Connick yeah. in Minnesota. So I mean, there's there's all sorts of names like that that took place. I think from the halftime standpoint, what really took place was when in, in Minnesota has to do with this too was. That was the last halftime show we did that literally was kind of dancing snowflakes. Uh-huh. I mean, Brian Boitano like and, and, and uh, Gloria Stefan and, you know, Dorothy Hamill were in it. But it was really just kind of the, you know, things going on on the field, that type of stuff. And if you remember, we got ambushed that year by Fox with In Living Color. Uh-huh. And oh, yes. In Living Color was was their kind of comedy show that they did, which had big ratings. And so that show literally came on the minute we went to halftime and feast the minute halftime got done. And we lost like six or seven rating points off of that. So we sat down the next year and said, we we got to stop this. <laughs> what are we going to do? Well, who's the biggest name there is in entertainment? And the name we came up with was Michael Jackson. And after three or four meetings with him and, his manager and his agents and stuff, we got him booked. And, and I think that changed halftime shows forever at that point in time because it went from being just as spectacular on the field to being more about star-driven talent. Now, we did suffer a couple of years there where nobody wanted to do it because they didn't want to get compared to Michael. But, again, the person who changed that was Diana Ross doing the one in Phoenix yeah. in 96, and that's kind of led us now that, it's a bucket list item for most big-time entertainers. 
Oh, it is. Uh, you know, and you you know, you mentioned Michael Jackson, and I do. I I, I heard uh, I heard you with, I, and I forget who you were with, but there's more to this story as well because Michael really is not a football was not a football fan, <laughs> so he didn't realize the capacity of audience that he would be performing for. Can you fill us in a little bit yeah, more about trust that? Me, he- he had no idea what a football was, <laughs> let alone what the Super Bowl was. I mean, it, it, some of these times when you meet with the entertainers, you find out that there's a whole world out there that's outside of football mm-hmm. uh, that we don't really think about, but they really don't. Life goes on on Super Bowl Sunday for a whole bunch of people that aren't watching the game. So when we met with them the first time, you know, it was kind of, okay, interesting, might be something different. But the thing that really swayed it was sitting there talking to him. We were talking about the fact that the game was going to be broadcast in 180 different countries live. And his response was, you mean this game's going to be in places that I'll never do a concert? We said, absolutely. He said, okay, I'm in. And that was really the, the thing that swayed him to do it. And then I think obviously after that point when he got in realized that it's 100,000 people sitting in the Rose Bowl and it's a million, you know, 110 million people watching it. He understood what the impact was and everything, but uh, certainly understood what he did and the impact it had on his charity. Yeah. All right, if you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Jim Stig. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at Jim Stig, or on Facebook, uh, if that's okay, <clears throat> or maybe not. Um, now, uh, over, <laughs> over you know, 29 years, uh, I, mean, I mean, I don't even know how many multiple venues that you had brought events to. Also, uh, the Pro Bowl which I don't know how you did both with them being a week apart. How were you able to sort of manage that? Well, remember the Pro Bowl was the week after the Super Bowl in those days. Still. Um, <laughs> we, had a really good, we, had a, we had a really good staff that, you know, a lot of the work's done getting the players in and out uh-huh. and that sort of stuff. And so I had a really good staff that worked on those things and then, I always felt bad because we'd show up on Wednesday morning or Tuesday night or something like that and kind of take over. So we tried to manage our way into what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we spent a lot of time talking way out ahead of time what the plans were. and You know, they had halftime shows and anthems and things like that we had to get done. But the, the key thing in the Pro Bowl was always taking care of the players. So that was really our focus more than anything, flying them in there, making sure they had a good time all week. And Football was a little secondary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's. I think it still is. I mean, I, I think it's really such an honor to be a part of for so many players and to be selected by the fans as a pro bowler and then to play with other pro bowlers uh, that they kind of, you know, were heroes to them while they were where they were starting playing. Um, well, and Hawaii was a really special. I mean, I was there for, what was it, 26 years of Hawaii. Yes. And, and that was really a very special place because – the players, coaches, or whatever, really had never, most of them hadn't gone to Hawaii. And now they're in Hawaii for a week, and they can bring their families over. And, you know, now obviously they can go to Disney World, things like that, but there's still something special about Hawaii. It, 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 it's another kind of bucket list place, I think that term again, yeah. for everybody to go to and visit. And it, it was, it's nice for the players and everybody to do it. I, I mean, I, I kid my kids about it a lot because they went to Hawaii starting at age two. You know, it went for like 20 years, and it's not as special to them as those that get to go there, you know, once in a lifetime or twice in a lifetime. Yeah. No, and for me as well, as I was raised going over there as well. But I but I know a lot of people, it's like they've never, they'd never gone and they've never been. So this was a great opportunity and what a perfect place to bring them. Um, now, this, back to the Super Bowl, though, is, okay, so this Radio Row first time was at Holiday Inn. And in Minneapolis, yeah, was, and now happened? it's yeah, in Mall of America. <laughs> you know, it's a little crazy contrast right there. Yeah, it was. Well, remember, we really didn't have sports radio. Maybe it existed in San Diego, and I think, you know, Hacksaw had it in San Diego, and, uh, you know, a couple of places like that, but they really didn't travel. And the first ones really to do that were WFAN with, you know, Mike and the Mad Dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the ones that, that really brought it there, and they, they were in Minnesota in 92 and and i think they had gone years before but they had never really broadcast out of like a hotel lobby you know they were kind of a some room someplace right yes <laughs> broadcasting down there and had people stop by their room but it was minnesota created and then when we got to la and pasadena 
at the Century Plaza the next year, I mean, it grew to about 15 or 20 stations. And now it's what it is. It's just crazy. And I just had a random thought, but did you ever think about doing Olympics organizing? Do, well, I mean, only yeah, you know, maybe I th- to some extent. You know, because it's a definite. I think I could probably help them. Mm-hmm. I could probably help them a little bit. Um, a lot of it's venue management and everything. I, I, I was thinking the other day. I, I, I think the thing that made us different at the Super Bowl, which is a good thing for everybody to take in mind is you know our priority you know i hate to say it our first priority was the media mm-hmm. well first priority was the two teams second priority was the media third priority was the fans and and i think if you keep that focus on these things that's what can make things better in particular when you get to olympics and, and olympics kind of loses a little bit because you've got to take care of the olympic committee and all that sort of stuff but it's still driven by the fans and the media and the media is going to dictate how good a job you did, and they're they're a little myopic sometimes. <laughs> you know, they were very myopic. If they're having in a bad Brazil experience, if they're having a bad experience, that translates to the rest of the community. And if they're having a good experience, that translates to the rest of the community. So, I think it's important from that standpoint. No, and that's something that actually really kind of bothered me with Russia, and then also with Brazil, as I saw one nice package on Brazil. And I've been there, and it's amazing, and the people are very friendly. And, yes, it is a, a poor – There is, I mean, it's, it's got such a crazy demographic, but they really didn't illustrate how wonderful this city is and uh, the country is and the people there, uh, sadly, you know, for Brazil. But Well, and I think that's really important. I think Minnesota's trying uh, – you know they're trying really hard to make sure they show – I mean, it's tough when it's five degrees out. Yeah. But they're really trying to show, and Minnesotans are very hardy, as they always say. They'll come out and do whatever in whatever temperature. So I think that the showing all these activities that are going on, you know, the toboggan rides down here, and you get you got winter carnival going on in St. Paul and things like that, really show that there's there's something taking place. And that's that's been the evolution of the Super Bowl now. Is what do you do that makes the locals come out because I always said the best thing you can ever do is have an out of towner sit next to a local in a bar, mm-hmm. you know, the week before the week of the game and talk about how wonderful their community is. Yeah. You know, and oh, you need to go, you have a place to go do this. Here's where you should go, that type of stuff. So I always said bringing the locals out and making a part of it. And I think they've done a great job from what I can read of, of making sure the locals come enjoy the events and translate that to everybody else. And, those people that go up there and sit just in their hotel rooms are going to miss something. Yes. Well, no, and Byron Chamberlain, is he's, he's been to the Super Bowl. He played for the Vikings. So, But he was like, the city is amazing. I'm like, really? And he's like, no, it's one of my favorite cities. I was like, really? Cool. And then my friend Andy Levi is the groundskeeper, the head's groundskeeper for the Arizona Cardinals. And he's there. Yep. And we're, you know, in Arizona, like right here, we're we are 78 today. I think we're 88 yesterday. Um, you know, going to 20, you know, 26 degrees, but I was, his equipment manager was helping him, but he was actually at the Minowa Falls as well, which is kind of cool. So we, you know, it's rad to see all these different things and to have the access to them, um, you know, to sort of embrace the community that is hosting this amazing event. I'm so sad I'm not well, there. Downtown, <laughs> yeah, downtown, Minnesota, downtown Minneapolis is really cool because it's connect, everything is connected by bridges. Mm-hmm. On the second floor of every single building downtown, you walk through the second floor and you connect it to every other place. So that it's like a street above a street <laughs> to get everywhere. So you could go and be stay in the Radisson and never go outside and go to restaurants, whatever it is, that might be a mile and a half away. So it's really spectacular that way. Wow. You're just tuning in. I'm joined by Jim Steig, and you can follow him on Twitter at Jim Steig. Um Okay, Jim, so there's – I have to ask, you two, having you two play as a performer. <laughs> I mean, only – I mean, the, the list is crazy. I mean, I, I love I love, I love, love Tony Bennett. I mean, I there's so many people that yeah. you've – you know, I mean, I, I, it's only a small smidgen of a portion of, of the talent that you've had in for uh, singing the national anthem or playing. Um, what was you two like? I mean, those – that's a pretty – that's a pretty heavy – Yeah, that was, we, you know, we were lucky. We had, um, Janet Jackson, ironically, was booked to do that halftime show. Uh-huh. And after 9-11, she bagged it. Okay. And 
so we had seen um, you two perform in the garden about a month later. Spe- spectacular show. She said, well, we were struggling with what to do and, and who to have. And then, so we reached out to Bono and the Edge and, and the manager. We got it in through Jimmy Ivine with okay. their soap records. Yeah, I was going to ask and, if it was through uh, Jimmy. got to him. Yeah, and then he opened the door. We met with them, I think, in Vegas. Another really short meeting. They were in right away. He got it. <laughs> As you can imagine, Bono gets the social issues and things like that pretty quick. Yeah. He got it. And, you know, the biggest thing was we kind of took his show that was out on the road and just converted it and doing it inside a stadium. Although, you know, you had the girl stages in and stuff like that. And we had a guy that had been with Disney uh, that had worked with us on it, being the one to help them figure out all the logistical stuff going on. And a lot less about worrying what songs does it. Um, but, yeah, he was so great. And matter of fact, we kept in contact for the next couple of years because he came back and wanted to do it again. Oh. Um, and we thought about it for a while, but he, he, he had an idea. He wanted to create a song, and he was concerned about AIDS in Africa. Uh, and he wanted to do a song to raise money for AIDS in Africa. And uh, I think we just didn't quite feel that that was where we wanted to go, you know, with the halftime show. About, okay, what cause are we going to do next year type thing? So, and he was going to, I think he went to some place in Switzerland to write a song and never wrote the song <laughs> or something. Oh, kind of okay. died a natural death. But, yeah, it was nice having a relationship with him, and he was really good. And, a lot of those people, like, uh, I remember McCartney was, to me, one of yes. the most special ones because, you know, grew up as a Beatles fan, and McCartney, I always said that was one entertainer I always wanted to meet. Uh, when, he, when he was involved at Super Bowl 36, he literally, I remember the date, he called on December 28th and saying he wanted to be involved in the game. And, of course, we'd already had everything booked, and we found room for him. And then we came back after having the problem at Houston, I figured the best person we could ever have to do the halftime show coming off the problems we had in the Houston was McCartney. And he said yes right away, so that was great. And my my frustrations were I tried forever and ever to get Bruce to do it. Oh, okay. And he, I could not get there. Wow. That's I mean, crazy. I tried, I tried everything. I mean, his manager and I became, you know, like phone buddies <laughs> all the time. Uh, you know, we got the other members of the band trying to convince him, but he didn't want to do it. And then, you know. Three or four years after I was gone, he did. So times changed. Yeah, no, that is crazy. Especially that was, my, that was my guy. That was my guy. I wanted. I never could get them. Darn it. <laughs> well, no, and a friend of mine actually, Alicia Moore Pink is actually a friend who I know, and so I was excited when I heard she's going to be singing the national anthem this year. Um, she's a phenomenal woman. Um, but it's just that honor to be asked and to be a part of this. Um, is got to be really overwhelming. I mean, uh, you know, there's, you know, and now, okay, did you go to that Super Bowl that Bruce played or not? No, I did not. Okay. (laughs) I've never been back since the one I worked on. I I claimed at the time I was never going back unless I had a team with me. Uh Uh-huh. You know, and and, and in uh, 07, we got close, lost to the Patriots in the championship game. But that would have been fun to go back that way. But, no, I haven't been back, so. You know, I, I definitely watch it, and uh, it's it's kind of weird when they've had some of the issues, like when the lights went out and things like that. I all of a sudden get texts and you know emails from all the media. <laughs> what happened? What's going on? You know, you know that sort of stuff. Yeah, like, like I'm not really working. Know. I'm not working. Like remember, <laughs> I I'm not working. Like I'm this is my day off. I'm walking with my family and friends right now. Um, no, I mean yeah. that was those been some crazy crazy things that have happened. Um, that being a really big one, a full blackout, <laughs> which kind of <laughs> lended to a lended to one team. Uh, it kind of changed. It was kind of like taking a timeout. Changed but the it, course of the game. It totally yeah. changed the rhythm of the game, you know. And people were it's were like, oh, I wonder who pulled the <laughs> pulled the plugs. <laughs> but <laughs> definitely a lot of jokes there. With I mean, that. those are things. <laughs> those are things that you spend umpteen hours on. Before I'll give you the weirdest one we had to give you an idea on detail. Okay. That we had, you know, after 9/11, the game in New Orleans, and we're we're sitting there now. We have everybody. Secret Service took over control of the security, so 
CDC's involved, and we've got every single element that you can think of medically in there, you know, from Tulane Hospital to the, you know, to the fire department to CDC to, you know, everybody. So we had a thing that's called a tabletop exercise about a week before, 10 days before the game, mm-hmm. where everybody gets in a room and we bring up an issue. And we say, what are we going to do to respond to this issue? And everybody tells what their actions are going to be so we make sure that we're coordinated with our actions. So the, the one that came up was um, we have an anthrax attack. If you remember in November yes. that year, we had the anthrax. So, of course, the uh, CDC was there. Out. Yeah. Yes. So we're, we have an anthrax attack in Section 131. What do we do? So everybody goes about how they're going to respond. And then after we get through with it, I, I finally say to somebody, says, so we have an anthrax attack. How do we, what do we do for the people? He says, well, we have to wash them all down with water. Wow. I said, what do you mean? I said, he said, well, they all have to take all their clothes off and we have to wash them all down with water, take them out in the street and wash them down. And I thought for a second, then I realized, well, we were in New Orleans. So that wasn't really a bunch of real problem. People running around naked. Yeah. So, was, <laughs> so if you, if you ever look at the overhead pictures of the Superdome that day, you're going to find about two blocks away from the stadium, these giant trucks sitting there, and they're just full of water. Wow. <laughs> just in case we had the anthrax attack. Wow. Amazing. Crazy. I'm so glad it needed, needs, it wasn't needed. Um, but, you know, and I oh, think, yeah. you know, in the same thing you were saying, you kind of uh, touched on it as well. There's so many different elements that happen with this um, and the planning. I put together events, but nothing like this capacity. But um, the, you know, halftime. Halftime is only, it is, I mean, I know there's prep and prep and prep. And like you were saying, you know, you guys have walkthroughs and walkthroughs and all these brainstorming incidents that could potentially happen. But also the crew, there is a specific crew that sets the stage up and takes it down within 28 minutes, right? It's up and down in 28 minutes. I mean, which is unbelievable. six Six minutes to get it up and about four minutes to get it out, you know? Because you got to get the teams back on the field, yeah. Um, so you don't have as much time on the back end as you do on the front end. Um, but you, you, we always tear things down faster and just put them out. But, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a. Um, there is so many volunteers, and there are people that literally that probably have worked twenty-five Super Bowls that have gone from company to company, working, you know, setting up the stages and knowing what has to go together. And that's where you talk about how many people that are involved in this process to make it happen. You know, it's a 12-minute show, and you, you've got hundreds of people that are involved making sure that, you know, Justin Timberlake, is, you know, his voice comes out of the microphone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the lights go on and things like that. It's, it's And then the light a, show. And then, and, I mean, in addition, I mean, plus, 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 plus. I mean, there's so many, there's so much detail. Were you part of the Patriots yeah, organization at one time? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I lived through a few Super Bowls with them, to say the least. <laughs> I, I've got my I've got my stories, which will not be told to Bill Belichick. So you know, okay. I know enough. We've had our we've had our moments. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure he he's not a huge fan of the halftime. Um. <laughs> well, you know, one of the funniest things the Patriots were in the game in in '86. Yes. And that was our 20th anniversary. And Raymond Berry was the coach. And uh, the pregame show, you know, the pregame show is long. I mean, it was 25 minutes by the time you come off the field before you have to go through player intros, anthems, coin tosses, all that sort of stuff. And it can take as much as 40 minutes between when they go start warm up and when they get back on the field again. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they lost that game. And one of the very first letters Tagliabue got after he got elected commissioner was from Raymond Berry. Oh, wow. And his letter was about you've got to shorten the amount of time between when the teams go off the field for the Super Bowl and when they warm up. And I thought about that. Love Raymond and all that. But didn't they get beat by, like, 800 points by the Bears? Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I don't think the time off the field made a difference in the game at that point. But in his mind, it did. So those are things that you've got to look at and think about all the time. Well, and then, you, you know, you, you, there's so many different elements as well because this is a big 
this is a big ta-da. Like, it's not just a game. It's a big ta-da. There's multi-million dollar commercials coming in. You've got tons of commercial breaks um, with these you know, campaigns that are specifically for the Super Bowl that people that companies spend a lot of money to have on. Uh, you know, as a player, you've got a lot of breaks as well. It's a little, you know, it's a different, it's a longer paced game, too. I think. Yeah, it's tougher because those two minute breaks are now like two and a half mm-hmm. because you you are not going to miss them. And in addition, the network wants promo time. Trust me, we're going to see enough promos in this game about the Olympics coming up starting uh. next week. They were probably going to get sick of them. But, I mean, I, I, they're going to promo their upcoming shows. They're going to promo you know, the Olympics, everything that's going to take place. So it's longer from that standpoint. But, you know, if they if they start off and the Patriots go on an eight-minute drive to start the game, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of teeth gnashing going on, <laughs> you know, because they know they've got to get all these commercial breaks in some way, shape, or form. And a lot of them have been promised, you know, I'm a first quarter commercial, I'm a second quarter commercial, I'm a two-minute commercial. You know, that's where they bought based on time. Um, you know, to some extent, fourth quarter, to, you know, last year, obviously, the fourth quarter was worth every nickel they put into it. But that's usually sold for less money than the first quarter. Yeah. Well, last couple. I mean, also, I mean, the, and then a few years ago with Seattle losing, you know, at the last the last play as well. Yeah. Like there's been some good. I another, now, another Patriots game. Maybe, yeah, another Patriots maybe game. Maybe they'll count exactly. on the Patriots game a whole for four quarters. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. Well, and then I've got. Well, I think we're running out of time, and because I, I could talk to you forever. Um, but do you have any? I know you don't have a horse in the race per se, but who are you picking to win? Um, who do you think is going to win? Well, <laughs> I would say New England for. One reason that I judge, I used to always be able to know who was going to win within like 90% certainty mm-hmm. because it was the team that was better organized uh, and did the better job of making it a normal week for their players and coaches. And, and I think the Patriots obviously have got that over the Eagles. There's, there's, I can't imagine there are many people left with the Eagles from 05. There's six and players the that have had a Super Bowl experience, have been to a Super Bowl on the on the roster for the Eagles. Thirty three yeah, that are it, on the the Patriots. This game, this game is won by the front office in a lot of ways, because the front office has got to make. I remember when the Eagles weren't the last time. You know the details. They were, Andy Reid who gets an oversized chair. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, we had everybody had they made sure that when he because when he got there the first thing you want to do is go to work. Yeah. Right. And you don't want to struggle about where I'm sitting or where there. He sat down at his desk. There's his chair. There's everything else he's got. He's ready to go to work. So to me, it's how you operate that, how you make the players feel that it's normal. I mean, we used to put have them put game rooms in, you know, so they can go down and keep themselves entertained and not worry about where they're going out, make their dinner reservations for them, make sure mom and dad, you know, wife and kids are Take picked it. up and have things to do during the week and not bothering the players and, it really is uh, – it's an organization thing that's really a key to making sure it's normal. You, you wanted today being Wednesday, you wanted to be a normal practice day mm-hmm. as best you could be. Understanding they had a media session in the morning, but now it's we're on the practice field, it's back to work. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, everything is normal as it can be. So I, I think – I always said that the one that's most – and, and talk about the details of the game, this is as simple a detail as – what color ribbon do I put on the luggage so that I know that it goes to this hotel and not that hotel? Or do I deliver their suitcase to their room, or do I make them come down to a room to pick it up? Or, you know, all that sort of stuff. Where are their tickets? Where's their party tickets? Where's their making up a bus pass for them, families to all get on the buses? So that concern's taken away from the players, yeah. you know, and they can think about the game, and the coaches can think about it. Well, you just you but have to me, that's that's the key thing. That's the key thing. That's we spent we prepared a thing. God, I wish I still had it. It was like about a twenty-page sheet of questions that the team had to ask internally of how they were going to do things, either with the coach or whatever, to know what they were going to do. All the way down to where's the nearest Catholic church, to what type of where's the florist that we need to get for you know sending flowers to somebody's room or whatever it was. So you had all those, where are the babysitters because everybody's bringing their kids, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. 
Wow. No, it's 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 unbelievable. Um, well, Jim, you are yeah, so without I'm, I'm that's you're so you're you are taking the Patriots. I take it. Well, I'm not betting, but I, I would say right now they they've got a they've got a leg up because they've been through this. Okay. Players know what to expect. The front office knows what to do. Okay. You know, and it you you're going to make sure that you you probably critiqued the hell out of last year. And so you're going to get better than what you did the year before and a lot of the operational stuff. I think that's critical to them. Right on. You know, they've got the easy thing. They had their own plane. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that take off. Plane. That's kind of nice. <laughs> and, you know, so you, you know that... You, know you would think the Eagles had their own plane, too, or... with Fly Eagles Fly. But... <laughs> <laughs> Should be. But... Well, you are amazing. Thank you so much for your time. So appreciate it, Jim. Always such a joy to speak with you, and I appreciate greatly your time. I, I thoroughly enjoy on air or off air. I'm always happy to speak with you. So thank you so much once again. I know the listeners will be really stoked as well. Okay, always glad to help any way I can. And thank you. I know you are. You're amazing. Thank you so much, Jim. And tell uh, Jill hello as well, and I will talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks, Jim. All right, you guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Mario Greyer, first for this show, and uh, just finished off with Jim Stig, 29 years in the league, uh, or 35 years in the NFL, 29 with the Super Bowl preparation. You guys have a dynamite Super Bowl weekend, and this is the Desiree Show on Dash Radio, and I'm out.